during these uh, months. It's been a great privilege to have a variety of different uh, speakers come and join us. And Conan Kublik is here with us today. He is the pastor at New City Church, been there about 16 years. And we are, uh, have had many kind of partnerships with New City through the many years that we've been here. There's been prayer opportunities, there's been sharing in some conferences together, just a lot of different ways that uh, we've appreciated this sister church in the city with us, not too far from here, ministering in many ways to uh, similar, uh, similar parts of the city and people. And so uh, we are glad that you come and join us here this morning, Conan. Come and bless us with God's word. It is a privilege to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, would you turn to Mark chapter 6? Uh, we're going to look at the first six verses. Grab your Bible or your Bible app. And I just got to say uh, thank you interns for that video um, and for your trash talking. I think it's one of my love languages. And I have people in my life too, Derek, who uh, love me enough to trash talk me. So thank you. That was great. Uh, I have a good friend um, when I, in my 20s, uh, when I was living in Calgary, uh, who was one of these guys who was just super successful at an early age. In his mid-20s, he was working uh, for what was at that point probably Canada's fastest growing company, uh, multinational company. Uh, so in his mid-20s, he had really, really high level of success, uh, something that for many guys... Uh, or many people in their 40s or 50s wouldn't have reached that level. Uh, so it was just one of these, and just not just that area of career, but like physically, he was this, this built bodybuilder. He had this amazing girlfriend. He was just one of these guys that you looked at in so many areas of your life, you're like, wow, this guy is just incredible. Uh, remember the first time that a couple of us went over to his uh, house, apartment area, and sitting down behind him where he was sitting, there was just these walls of framed letters. So at one point, I kind of went over and looked at these letters, and they were all rejection letters. <laughs> like, what, what's this? Quinn, what's going on here? Uh, and he just said, here's, here's a list to remind me, uh, when I'm now fairly successful, of uh, this wasn't always the case. Uh, company after company didn't want to hire me. Uh, had some universities that didn't want to take me. So he said, it just reminds me is that I've been rejected a time or two as well. There's been a lot of famous rejections. He reminded me of some other very famous ones. I can't remember all those, but here's another list of some people who, very famous, very successful, who too were rejected. You may have heard of this guy, a physicist called Albert Einstein. You know him? Uh, he was expelled from school at one point. And then when he graduated in university uh, with a degree in mathematics and physics, he couldn't find a job. Can you imagine giving a rejection letter to Albert Einstein? J.K. Rowling, you're aware of the Hogwarts school. Uh, you probably have heard that, you know, this is someone who's now worth more than a billion dollars because such a successful children's book writer, movie franchise uh, with the Harry Potter series, but she had 12 publishers reject her for her writing. 12. I bet you they feel a little foolish now. Steve Jobs was fired from Apple at one point. Of course, they called him back later, but they fired him. Michael Jordan, 
Michael Air Jordan, if you're probably, some of you here are probably wearing uh, some of his shoes. He was cut from his basketball team in high school for, quote unquote, a lack of skill. It's amazing. Ludwig van Beethoven, the, one of the most famous classical uh, composers, was told by his music teacher that this is a composer who is hopeless. Steven Spielberg, one of our greatest directors, some of the most iconic films that uh, we watch nowadays and cherish, has won many awards from it, uh, was rejected by uh, the University of Southern California School of Theater, Film, and Television three times. And then finally, Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor at one of his first jobs because, quote unquote, he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Rejected, turned down, why? All of these people who rejected them in some way or another, these famous people, and we can all probably think of our own little rejection things as well, were turned down because in each case they didn't fit the box that those people had. They had a box and they were like, oh, you don't, you don't fit that box. The irony, when they looked at those people who didn't fit their box, they were rejecting and turning down some of the people who were the very best in that field, who would turn their world, their area upside down in many ways. Those are interesting rejection stories of people who don't fit inside a box, but there's one that's even bigger. And we're gonna look at that today. Would you open your Bibles with me and let's look at Mark 6, 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? And what's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. This is God's word. What we see in this passage that I want to drive home to you today is just like those people, we can put Jesus in a box. We can put him in our own little preconceived notions of who he is and what he should be. And just like others who missed out on opportunities with those famous people that we looked at, miss out on a far greater opportunity because in those cases, some of those people, those editors or those coaches or those uh, you know, bosses missed out on someone who could say, you know, I discovered this person, or in some cases, I made my own fortune because of who they were. But in the case of not recognizing Jesus for who he is, for rejecting him, for putting him in our own little box and keeping him there, it's actually a life and death matter an eternal life and death matter. 
So we must not put him uh, in this box, but we must see who he claims to be and demonstrates to be in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Let's look first at the reception of Jesus. It starts off amazing. He goes back to his hometown. And it starts off great. He's invited to speak in the synagogue. I mean, he's essentially doing what I'm doing right now, guest preaching, but in his own kind of home crowd. People who know him, he grew up with, or they've seen him grow up. And the reaction at first is really, really good. He's initially honored. Look at, look at what some of they say about him. Is they're amazed. That's not the first time Jesus has amazed crowds. Go through the gospel stories and he speaks and people are astounded and amazed at who he is and the authority that which he speaks with, the wisdom that he has. I mean, it's almost like he's the author itself. They're amazed at him. And, and their reaction to his miracles and to what he does is they're not denying them. They're just asking, you know, a bunch of questions here. Where did he get this power? And I find it really interesting. And I tried to, even when I read it to you, uh, bring this out. But the questions start out really good. They're amazed. And, you know, where does he get this wisdom? And what's, the, what's all this that's going on? But do you see that how those questions begin to turn? It starts out with like, Poof, that was a mind-blowing sermon. To their offended at him. Where did this man get these things? Go through the book of Mark and you see other questions as well. If you go through other gospels, you can see this as well. As others are asking questions when they experience Jesus in person. Mark 1.27, the question is, what is this? By a synagogue group regarding his teaching and him casting out demons. Or in chapter 2-7 or 441, the question is essentially, who is this by the teachers of the law and some of Jesus' disciples? But now we get to an origin question, a source question. Where did he get these things? It's a good question, actually. And if they'd have chased it down in the right way, in the right manner, they'd have actually been far more amazed in the end. But skepticism begins to creep in. Nothing wrong with asking the questions. They're great questions. But it goes from amazement and insight that Jesus has to a cynical and skeptical heart. Because as it goes on, do you see what happens? It goes from amazement to who does this guy think he is anyway? I mean, you're just one of the local town boys here. You're no bigger or better than us. We, we know you. The interesting thing here is, here are some of the people on the entire planet who could claim to be the most close to Jesus, had experienced him, known him, continue to. I mean, this is family here. And in many of these small towns, they were extended family. They, they knew him, and yet they didn't know him at all. They were close to Jesus without actually being convinced by Jesus. Their exposure to Jesus, exposure to his message, exposure to the miracles was actually no guarantee of faith. Actually, in this case, 
It led to unbelief. It led to a lack of faith, an indifference to him, even maybe a scorn of him. Because in the end, they're actually missing the most crucial question that they could have asked. What does all of this mean? If Jesus is this kind of teacher, if he has this kind of authority over demons, if he has this kind of power that God is working through him to heal and restore the brokenness that's in our world around us, what does this mean about who he is? Because if they'd have chased it down... He was the one that the Old Testament prophets and others had prophesied and said, this is God's promised Messiah. This is God's promised rescuer king here to save his people, to save the world and to establish God's kingdom. Their reception was initially good, but it turned. Look then at the reaction of Jesus in verse 3 or their rejection of Jesus, sorry, uh, in verse 3. They took offense at him. Good questions, but it led them to skepticism and rejection of Jesus. They were actually rejecting their true king. God in the flesh had come to them, was revealing himself to them, opening up his word to them, and they were taking offense at him. Notice they're not just offended and taking offense at his teaching and miracles, but they're actually taking offense to it seems here in the way that Mark is bringing out the story is he just seemed way too ordinary. He wasn't flashy enough. He didn't fit their box. If he was this kind of person who had this kind of authority and this kind of wisdom in his preaching, if he was demonstrating God's power and authority through him in the way that he was casting out demons and healing people, this did not fit their box. The interesting thing is, think of some of those places in other parts of the gospel stories when others reflect on people from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's, that's the kind of feeling it seems that's in the ethos around them. The interesting thing is the people of Nazareth are going, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's just too ordinary. Looks like them. I mean, he comes from an ordinary family. I mean, they know his family. I mean, just look at it here. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? I mean, we know his family. We can't be that special. He can't be who we actually were considering just for a moment there. That's, that's just not actually possible. They're talking themselves out of their amazement and their initial heart response to Jesus here. Not only that, I mean, this is just an ordinary guy and he used to do just an ordinary job. Isn't this just a son of a carpenter? The interesting thing is Jews in that day actually had really high respect for what we would now call blue-collar work. They, they had really high respect for it. But at the same time, they also looked and went, if you're going to be a teacher and a scribe, you go from scribe-type families and go to scribe school, and if you're going to be a blue-collar worker, you come from a blue-collar family and you go to blue-collar school. So when he's doing scribe and teacher things, they're going, this doesn't fit our box. There's no way he could be anything special. 
No one's saying is, you know, given your blue-collar background, I just knew you had Messiah potential. No. From their perspective, actually, they thought they knew him too well, and they want to bring Jesus down to size, their size, their box, their preconceptions, their ideas. And they're not letting him speak and opening up their eyes and hearts to the reality that's right in front of them. We've got a saying that applies directly to this. You you, you use it. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. That's exactly what's going on here. They're actually scandalized by Jesus. Now, we can look back 2,000 years ago and go, I can't believe they did that. I mean, nerve of those guys. But the reality is I think each one of us does this in one way or another. Each one of us tries to bring Jesus down to size, our size, put him in our box that we've created. Now, some of you, if you're like my church, some of you here are not Christians yet. Someone's invited you, someone's brought you. You're maybe exploring Christianity, maybe even be very skeptical of Christianity. And one of the reasons I think that you do that is you actually assume you know who Jesus is. You assume you know what Christianity is actually about. And you've either rejected it or are indifferent to it. But Christians, don't let yourselves off the hook too quick here. These were devout Jews. Even devout Christians can do this. Jesus can become too ordinary to us. Boring and bland The Bible, the good news story of him, his life and his death and his resurrection and all its goodness and glory becomes just another, ah, whatever. When you inoculate someone against a disease, it's by exposure to it. And my fear in too many Christian hearts, you've been around the gospel, you've heard the stories, but you've actually allowed yourself in your by going kind of whatever, it's just a good news story, allowed your heart to be inoculated to who Jesus is. And you've moved from wonder and amazement and worship to kind of a indifference, a kind of at least soft unbelief where you're unwilling to be engaged at a heart level by who Jesus is. And what he does and the message that he has, not just for other people, but for you. That can happen to any one of us. Unbelief rigidly rejects versus honest questions that are willing and seeking to be engaged. Let's look then at the reaction of Jesus. What's Jesus' reaction to this? He says in verses Four to six, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And just like they were amazed, Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Sobering. Perplexed by their unbelief, perplexed by their rejection, perplexed 
by them putting him in a box when God was demonstrating his power and glory and goodness. He was bringing his promises that he had had for hundreds and hundreds of years to fulfillment right in front of their eyes. And they were trying to just bring Jesus down to size and stuff him in that box. And he's amazed by that, amazed by their hardness of heart and amazed by their unwillingness to believe and receive him. The interesting thing is he actually explains their rejection. I mean, a prophet's not without, is without honor except in, you know, in his own town. I mean, everywhere else I go, crowds are following, I'm celebrated. God is honored and glorified here. But this is what they did to the prophets too. He explains their rejection, but he's not saying it's a good thing. He's not excusing it. Nor does he with ours. Jesus was treated just like one of the Old Testament prophets. And if you had a career as an Old Testament prophet, often it wasn't super long and generally you weren't super popular. Go to the book of Hebrews in the faith chapter when it's describing many of the prophets. They were beaten, they were mocked, they were imprisoned, tortured, stoned, and sawn apart. Give me the rejection letter. Jesus is saying, just like those Old Testament prophets, that's actually what's going on here. I came to save my people, save them from their sins. I came to announce that the kingdom of God is here in my person and in my message and what I am doing. You're rejecting it and you're just shoving it in a box, stuffing it down to size. And the result of their unbelief is basically he did no miracles among them. All the other places that he was going, even when he had come in, it's because he's doing these miracles, preaching this gospel message, but there in his own hometown, among his own people, the ones who should have received him biggest with the biggest open arms, he did the least. Why? Likely, it's because few had faith. Few were willing to actually come to Jesus for healing and deliverance. Few were willing to go to him and saying, I have a need that only you can fill. Furthermore, these miracles would really only serve to harden their hearts more. Inoculate them against the good news that he was bringing in his person and in his work. Every one of us, we can go through the motions we can come to church week after week. You can attend youth group. You can even open your Bible day after day. But unless you allow Jesus and the Spirit to work in your heart and show you who he is and what he's done and continue to allow your heart to be amazed, continue to allow him to open you up to wonder and worship, the danger is, is that we move actually into indifference and unbelief. It's a challenge to us. As I was reading my Bible this week, I was looking at the first few chapters of Revelation. Jesus goes, like this lampstand, through the seven churches there. Some he celebrates, but even in some of those churches that we look back to and point to, these were some of the original foundations of the Christian faith that allowed us to be here, sit here, hearing the good news of Jesus this morning. Jesus was going through and going... Some of your cases, man, the unbelief and the indifference towards me that you've allowed to creep in.
This calls us then to a heart response. What's your response to Jesus? It's one thing to hear a story, even a story that's actually a warning to us. It's another thing to take it to heart, to allow it to penetrate us, to make us consider in a fresh way, who is Jesus to me? Who is he in my life? Am I allowing him to speak to me? Am I allowing the miracle of the gospel and the resurrection to work in my life? And I want us to take a couple minutes to do that today. You probably are aware of him. Rico Tice, uh, Christianity Explored, uh, and great author, speaker, um, and evangelist. In his book, Honest Evangelism, he describes uh, a time where he was going to meet some friends at a posh London restaurant, uh, and he was told that the table wasn't ready, the party wasn't yet there, uh, to just wait in the lobby. And he's like, you know, as a good Brit, uh, I looked at the other guy who seemed to be in the same position as I was, this tall, blonde, thin man, and we both, in good London fashion, I've had some good British friends over the years, we stared at the floor and just felt kind of awkward for that time until the waiter came and, or the maitre d' came and took the other man away. And he said, as that man turned, this tall man that I stood there with for a while, he turned and I went, that is Prince William. the future king. This is what he says. I'd just seen a tall young man with thinning blonde hair. What I hadn't seen was that he was my future king. Identity matters. And while missing Prince William's identity simply meant missing out on a conversation with him, when it comes to Jesus, it's much more important to realize who he is. I would say, and Rico Tice would say, it's a life and death matter, actually. It's an eternal matter that has ongoing implications for your life right now because you can either reject Jesus like in this story or you can recognize him and receive him. Not even just recognizing him, but allowing then who he is and what he's doing for you to actually penetrate your life, your soul, your everyday calendar, your pocketbook, your relationships? Would you recognize him and receive him? See, because the greatest obstacle faith, to faith is actually not a failure of God to act, but it's an unwillingness of the human heart to accept the God who takes on human flesh, takes on human nature, and as Philippians tells us in chapter 2, comes and serves humanity all the way to a cross. It's not that God hasn't revealed himself. It isn't that God hasn't shown himself. It's not that Jesus hasn't spoken and amazed people's hearts or demonstrated his power and authority, not only in his life, but in his death, and then ultimately in his resurrection it's that we choose in the hardness of our heart and the indifference that we have to actually let that make a difference in our lives. Moses, the first great prophet, foretold that one day there would be a prophet that people would eventually listen to. This prophet was Jesus. But he was not just a spokesperson of God, but he was God himself with all his power and glory and authority. 
Which is why when he went and preached and taught, he could say, you've heard it said, but I myself say to you. And people were blown away because it was like the author of the text, because it was the author of the text. The word made flesh, as John 1 tells us, was there speaking to them, teaching them, opening up all that God was and had for them. But it wasn't just his hometown in the end that rejected him. It was all of us. All of us. Philippians 2 tells us that he left a place that he was celebrated, lauded, completely known, completely loved, and he came to serve us. You know why? So that we could be completely known, completely loved. And even while we come to him by being humbled and repenting, it's so that he can lift us up and exalt us. Jesus, in serving us in that way, Philippians 2 tells us, receive the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who is Jesus to you today? See, he came to a place where, as Isaiah 53 tells us, he was despised and rejected by humanity. John 1, 10 to 12 tells us that he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. There's this amazing but there. But, but to all who did receive them, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. It's not just that there's some celebrity here. It's not just that the, one of the most famous people of history is calling to you and teaching you. But Jesus, God himself, is opening up and saying, I am here. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to lavish myself upon you. I want to give you the privilege of being a citizen in my kingdom. I want to give you the privilege of being an adopted member of my very family, the family of God. But would you recognize me and receive me? Because that's how we come. Humbly. It's the spirit of God that opens our eyes to who he is ultimately. But would you come today? And it actually doesn't matter whether you're here as the skeptic or as the Christian. Because that's what each one of us is called. Skeptic is to do this the first time. To receive him and to recognize him. But Christians, don't let your hearts be indifferent. Don't just go through the motions of Christianity. But passionately embrace him. And allow the Spirit of God every day to amaze you and show you who he is. One of my good friends in our neighborhood, a handful of years after we moved here, incredible skeptic. In fact, at one coffee, what we did at the Starbucks on Lock Street, uh, he took about 55 minutes. We had about an hour together. It took 55 minutes, and he told me all the ways that he rejected Jesus and Christianity. Every, like he just went through it. He was thorough. 
I had five minutes about to respond. And I said to him, Brad, you have completely rejected Jesus, even though, even as he admitted in his talk, he'd lived in a number of places around the world and places where other religions and philosophies had influenced. And he said, the place that I want to live is actually a post-Christian society because I see the good that Christianity has done. And I said, hmm, isn't that fascinating, Brad? But Brad, all those things that you've said about Jesus, almost all of those are actually not true. You misunderstand him. You misrepresent him. And I apologize because there are churches actually that have allowed you to do that. But Brad, if you're going to misunderstand Jesus and if you're going to reject him, I feel as a good evangelical pastor, I need to help you. Which blew his circuits. Because this is what I said and meant. If you're actually going to reject him, Reject who he actually is. Don't reject the Jesus that you've put in your little box, your little preconception of him. Let's actually open up the text together and let, us sh let him show us who he is because if you're going to reject him there, then at least you're making an informed decision, even if I radically disagree with you on it and would be grieved over it. Just like Brad would you take that opportunity, get to know him? And the amazing thing is you're in a church right here, right now, that would love to do that with you, would love to explore that with you. If you've got questions, ask them. Do you recognize who Jesus is and would you receive him? Because when you do, you can say with Paul, like he says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, and I close with this. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Oh, but how differently we know him now. Their eyes of their hearts were opened. And they recognized him and they received him. Let's pray. Spirit of God, would you work in our hearts and lives? We confess that just like his hometown, so often we can uh, be amazed at him one moment and actually indifferent or even indignant towards him another. Would you stir in our hearts and lives that we would see him for who he really is, for who he says he is? Would we let him outside of our little box and see the God of glory who loved us and died for us and was raised again so that we could be made right with God? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.